0: The Jewish Divorce Project, because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help.
1: Hi, Tara. Nice to meet you. Hi, it's Hmm. nice to meet you, too.
0: Okay. Welcome to the Jewish Divorce Project. Project. We have an amazing guest today, uh, Tara Eisenhard is here with us. Tara helps struggling singles transform conflict and confusion into clarity, confidence, and control. She's a child of divorced parents, an ex-wife, a next wife, I love that, and the previous partner of a divorced dad. Personal experience taught her that divorce is about evolution, not dissolution. Tara works as a coach, author, mediator, and educator with a passion for healthy and happy divorces. She provides personal private coaching as well as online courses and community events. Tara is the author of the book, The D Word, Divorce Through a Child's Eyes, the workbook, Your Bittersweet Beginnings, and the blog, Relative Evolutions. She's been interviewed for various radio and TV programs, and her writing has been featured by the Huffington Post, DivorceMoms.com, Family Affairs, Divorce Force, Stepmom Magazine, and maria Schriver.com. we will share her contact info at the end but we are so excited to have you join us today tara
2: it's great to have you yeah thank you can we also clarify that despite having a very jewish last name you're not in fact jewish
1: correct but if it i don't know helps counts my ex-husband was half jewish
2: Yes, that you look. You you get you get. What's it? Neighborhood Jewish or Jewish adjacent for that one? I don't you know, know if it counts, but I
0: like this new <laughs> intro. How we just check in with everybody. How Jewish are you? Before <laughs> we should definitely I love it. do that, start the podcast that way.
2: <laughs> how Jewish is your last name? It's a great last name. It really is. Does it? Where? Uh, just out of curiosity, where does it come from? Eisenhard?
1: Uh, it's somewhere in Germany.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> Like many of us somewhere in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. So, Tara,
0: so before we jump into yeah. how qualified you are professionally, it seems that you've personally been through so many of these struggles that you work with. And I think maybe all or such a large percentage of people who work in the divorce field usually come through it from their own personal experiences. Mm. I think. I know at least for me, and it seems to resonate with other people, once you go through it, you see how hard it is, and then you want to turn around and help other people going through it. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can share with us what brought you to this work.
1: Yes. So um, my experience is a little bit different. A lot of people did go through divorce and saw how hard it was and wanted to help others. Um, My experience is a little bit the opposite of that. So when my parents got divorced and I was a teenager, it was a really good experience overall. I mean it was it was terrifying and and confusing and everything in the beginning. Um but my parents had a really good divorce and their relationship improved and my relationships with them improved mm. and overall it was a positive impact on my family. And so I grew up thinking that divorce was a good thing, that it was a solution to a problem. And when it was time for me to get divorced, I saw divorce as a solution to a problem. I was relieved to be getting divorced because the marriage was not healthy for either one of us. It just wasn't the right thing. But that was when I realized how awful it is for so many other people. Because when I told people that I was getting divorced, nobody was happy for me. Everybody was angry for me or they were sad for me and they wanted to give me advice, and most of that advice was not helpful. And I realized at that point how lucky I had been and how lucky I had been to be unaware of how lucky I was as a child with divorced parents. And so that was when I really started to wonder, uh, what is it that, what's wrong with everybody? Um, And uh, so I started looking for some answers on that. Um, The first book that I ever purchased on Amazon was The Good Divorce by Constance Ahrens, where Mm. she did this long-term study of divorced families, so to speak. And uh, so I learned a lot through that, and I just kind of kept going. And I started to learn so much more about the toxic culture that we have around divorce, the shame, the blame, the cycles of, you know, anger and, um, and the really tragic results. And I wanted to find a way to change the conversation and the approach so that more, more children could grow up like I did.
2: Speaking of which, what was so healthy for you in your divorce or what was so healthy about your parents' divorce that made it successful for you in that way?
1: So, um, when my parents stopped living together, they stopped fighting and and how, how old
0: were you when they got divorced?
1: I was 13 when they separated. And, um, so they, I was old enough to be aware that they were very unhappy and i you know i heard them fighting i i caught the the little cues between them i knew when they were angry i felt the tension that kind of thing mm-hmm. and so when they separated when they didn't live together anymore the tension in the house just dropped and um then over time my parents got to be friends again they they came back and they they were able to reconnect um you know in a way that was that was healthy um where they you know they knew each other right they, they they could be friends and they didn't have to live together. They didn't have to be life partners. And that made all the difference. So I still had a family. Um, It was, it just looked a little bit different.
0: How far did that friendship go? Was that that they were amicable and can be in the same room or were you having Thanksgiving dinners together?
1: So um for the first few years, it was, it was just kind of general amicable Um it, we, we graduated from having like, you know, smaller amounts of tension to when my dad would come and pick up me and my sister on Friday nights for the weekend, it was the nineties, we did every other weekend. So when he would come and, He'd pick us up for the weekend like he would get out of the car and come and sit on the porch and my mom and my sister and my dad and the dog we'd all just kind of sit there and hang out for a little while and sort of catch up on the day and then uh over the years it progressed to my parents being able to you know kind of hang out and um you know go out and and you know have a couple of drinks with their significant others to Um, my being able to have Thanksgiving dinner with both of my parents at the same table, my mom, eventually my mom moved farther away. And when she would come back to visit, she would stay with my dad and his girlfriend. So she came back for Thanksgiving one year and we were all able to have Thanksgiving together.
2: You know, it's funny. You talk about the idea of separateness, excuse me, separatedness right, as being something that's ultimately saved a relationship with your parents, even if it wasn't the marriage, it saved a friendship, which enabled you to thrive and for them to also thrive. And I just sent this article to Sheva yesterday, because she's often talked about this idea of doing like a 50-50 custody thing while you're married. And that's exactly what this yeah. article in the New York Times talked about was- Oh, my idea. What, what'd you say? They
0: stole my idea. <laughs> it's a great,
2: it's a fantastic idea. And I think, you know, Tara's bringing up how fantastic it is, but it's to say that like the author of the article, right, she talks about how she's on this group chat with a lot of her female friends, which is very typical for women um, that, and, you know, like, and they're talking about how much they'd want to kill their husbands, right? Because they just can't stand what's going on and how she secretly is not feeling that way because she's established this 50-50 custody thing while married with her husband, right? It's to say that this is your weekend with the kids. You are doing this thing, right? I am doing my thing with the kids on next weekend and I am the one who is responsible for that. And I have to step up to that. And you can't expect the other person to interfere or to help out in any way, much like it would be if you were actually divorced, right? That time is exclusive to you and how in reality it's saving her marriage, Right. And you talk about how it saved your parents relationship or at least friendship in that way. And to think about especially coming off this whole pandemic time where we were all just clustered together, you couldn't escape. Right. You couldn't really have your alone time. And now how that's an accelerator of things. Right. That just like the time compounded with the lack of uh, of space or separatedness or individuality. Right. Leads to a higher rate of divorce in some way or at least leads people to consider it. And how just this idea of separating out can really be a savior. It's fascinating in that way. It really is. Mm-hmm. It that was is. just a really
0: long-winded way of, no, I'm saying Thank you. how brilliant I am.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Rabbi, it well, could take a long way to get around to it.
1: It's true. It does. And even for people who who are knowingly moving towards divorce, even if it's not saving the marriage, but it can be helpful for people who are approaching the divorce process. I do family mediation. So sometimes when I work with parents to put together their parenting plan, we'll have a phased approach where we're starting with, okay, so right now the parents are still living in the same house, but we want to start to create some separation and some boundaries. And let's talk about how we can do exactly that. So yeah, it's fantastic. Do you think there's a flip side to parents being
0: too good friends and lack of boundaries where that it's confusing for a child or, you know, if you guys can be together, then why are you separate? Why are we going through this pain or they don't fully understand what a separation is? So is is there a sweet spot that you can go over in the other direction?
1: yeah, I think there is a sweet spot, and it's it's gonna come down to a couple different things. Number one, the age of the children and how much they are understanding of the dynamics. And number two, the time frame that 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 happens. So with my parents, I saw this this gradual you know coming back together for my parents. If they had separated, you know they my dad moved out in June. So if that year was the year that we all had Thanksgiving together, it might have been a little bit more confusing. But the fact that it happened over time, and I was able to see the evolution of their relationship back to a friendship, that was really helpful. Um, also, you know, if I had been younger and not able to understand that, it could be a little bit confusing. Um, but there's also... Um, You know, there's ways to there's ways to do that, too, where you can have really good boundaries and still have, uh, you know, uh, family get togethers for major holidays or birthdays or things like that, where it's just not the the always expectation of the kids, if they're seeing mom and dad being together all the time, that could be a lot more confusing than, well, we know it's a, it's a special occasion, it's a celebration. So my family always gets together on my birthday. My, my mom and dad are both going to be there for my birthday party, and that's just a special occasion. But other than that, we have, we have a schedule. So I think there's a couple things that come into play there.
0: Yeah,
2: that makes sense. What's been um, the best piece of wisdom or advice that you can give to parents? they're going through a divorce they want to be protective of their children in that way
1: um protective of them in just shielding them from conflict you mean yeah so the um i think overall the best advice in general when it comes to parenting co-parenting situations is that you have to love your children more than you hate your ex And that's a really good kind of guiding light as far as going through the process and being able to put the kids first and foremost and realizing um, what actions may be helpful or harmful to the kids with every decision that parents are making along the way.
2: When it comes to dating, I've always wondered about this because I think people have different rules When exactly do you introduce the kids to the person that you're dating? Right. Is this someone that, you know, like, do you have to wait six months in? Does this have to be someone who you want to get engaged to? Right. When exactly does this happen? And what, uh, what would you say are the proper procedures? Do you need to introduce them to your ex as well? Right. So that they know who that person is even before meeting the kids. Where do you stand on some of this stuff?
1: So that's a really good question. And the answer is it's going to look different for everybody. Um, The general rule of thumb is really to be able to say that when you realize that the relationship is significant, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting engaged, that you're getting married, but it's a significant relationship. And this person is going to be part of your life for the longer term. And you realize that you want your children to know that this person is part of your life and, and start some gradual introductions. As far as the component of the other parent, a really good starting place for that. And this is going to come down to the kind of relationship that these co-parents have. Some people have very strict boundaries. They're parallel parenting. You do you, I do me. And we don't talk unless it's an emergency. Right. So in those situations, there's a lot more boundaries. But otherwise, if there is you know, some level of co-parenting, a good place to start is to let the co-parent know that the kids are going to be introduced to this person. Um, that way the kids don't go to the other parents' house and then they say, oh, you know, mommy introduced us to George or daddy introduced us to, you know, Dina or something like that. Um, it's so that it's not a surprise just so that the other person isn't caught off guard. It's also something that's really good for parents to talk about before any of this happens. Hmm. This is something that I address in parenting agreements when I'm doing parenting plans and mediation is okay. So when there are new people in here. How would you like to handle this? That way, they have a, uh, you know, they have an agreement. This is something that they've talked about. This is something that they know to expect. And sometimes people want to talk about every level of that relationship and the involvement. Sometimes they just want to say, okay, just give me a heads up before you introduce the kids to somebody else. And sometimes parents agree that they want to talk about things like when is this person going to be allowed to be unsupervised with the kids? At what point is this person going to be allowed to sleep over or attend family dinners or family vacations and things like that?
0: So segueing off of that, I'm not, I wasn't so clear from the bio because there's so much stuff in there. Are you a stepmom
1: yourself? You're remarried? Yes. So okay. no, I am, I am not currently a stepmom, <laughs> um, but I did spend five years kind of in that role when I was, uh, you know, when I was with the the divorced dad and, you know, we lived together and the kids came and stayed with us and everything. So I navigated that territory and that was part of my whole education process because that was another situation that I found myself in where I was so confused um because this was another divorce that was not did not look like my parents divorce and I was so confused about how do I how do I function in this space who am I to these kids why does this man's ex-wife hate me even though she's never met me that kind of thing you know yeah we haven't
0: really Really, had many conversations on this podcast about step parenting so um any wisdom that you gleaned from that experience do's and don'ts (laughs) well can I can I And can I
2: also ask that from my own perspective, which is to say that, like, I I found that I enjoy dating women more who have kids, right, for the sheer fact that, like, if it does lead to something, it could be that we've created a blended family, which is a really lovely thought to me. And admittedly, there are times in that whole scenario where I've wondered, do I really want to be a stepdad? And the answer is yes, right? Is it weird that, like, I really want to be a stepdad that like I'm intrigued by that idea that I feel like I have a lot of love to give, especially knowing that there could be a perfectly good father in the picture, right, they don't need me as that fatherly picture and a fatherly figure and at the very least what they need is a is a is a reliable parenting parental figure right. Um, Am I weird for feeling that in some way.
1: I don't think so at all. I I loved the pseudo-stepmom role that I played because I do not want to have my own children. And so, uh, but that doesn't mean that I hate children. Right. It just means that I don't want to be solely responsible for them. That's so fair. that's
2: a really I'm not right there with you.
1: <laughs> so that that role is a is a really, you know, it's a good place to to be if you're in that kind of situation. I loved those children, um, you know, as if they were my own, but at the same time, I knew that they weren't. Um, you know, in that whole, like, well, you're not their parents. Okay, well, neither are their teachers or their, you know, aunts or whatever. Sure. Um, you're right. They, they don't need another parent provided that of course they, they have, you know, two fit and loving parents who are involved in their lives. Um, but no, I, I thought that was a, a great place to be where you have, you're able to have a really meaningful relationship with, with children. Um, but you're not the one who's solely responsible. Now, the flip side of that is that you can develop really meaningful relationships with them. You can be, you know, family. And then if the relationship doesn't work out, you're out in the cold. Everybody moves on without you. And you thought you had this family and all of a sudden you don't, Um, which is a huge loss for somebody in the step parent role that somebody who's a biological parent or an adoptive parent, they don't lose that in a divorce.
0: Right. So any do's and don'ts.
1: So um, do take it slow, um, you know, kind of get to know the, the territory, the relationship with the other parents, um, how that whole thing is going to work. Uh, it's helpful to let the kids take the lead as far as the progression of the relationship and just sort of being there. Uh, the initial introductions, I always like to recommend that if you're introducing children to a significant other for the first time, do something together that doesn't require a lot of interaction so go see a movie together where you don't have to talk to each other you just sit in the theater you all enjoy this experience and then at the end you have something to talk about so it kind of you know it's it's a little bit easier than going to have dinner together and trying to have everybody talk to each other at that point where it can just be sort of awkward
2: you don't even have to look each other in the eye if you go to the movie
1: exactly, exactly. It's nice and dark. It's, it can, and everybody has their own individual experience that you can then share afterwards. Um, So something like that can be really helpful to start off taking it really slow for the person who's in that role, just letting the kids lead, letting them, you know, you don't want to step in and be like I'm the authority figure now and this is your bedtime and you're not there to enforce the rules, especially not in the beginning this is just a really slow kind of introduction, find things that you like to do together, uh, you know, music that you like to listen to, or maybe you cook together or something like that, and just let that naturally develop over time. It's not something that you would try to, to force, um, you know, and and let it naturally evolve and just be there, be, be consistent and be present and be interested and be caring and, usually that works really well.
2: <laughs> you mentioned um, that the the ex-wife of this man that you dated, right? Didn't like you for some reason. And I have to imagine that had something to do with the fact that there was a new woman in the picture and potentially someone who, that was around her daughter, right? So what um, advice would you give to someone who's going through that, right? An ex who sees their ex dating someone new, bringing someone new into the picture how would you comfort them in knowing that they could be really upset about it and also taking it out on this, you know, new girlfriend or new boyfriend?
1: So first of all, it's really normal. Um, It's, you know, being a parent is, it's a, it's a territorial kind of thing. You are the person who's you know responsible for the well being of of the children, and to know that they are. First of all, it's really hard for parents to to let go and share custody with somebody else. Yeah. So that's one hurdle. So you've you know you've gotten over the point where okay, my kids are spending you know however much amount of time with with my ex and that's out of my control. I'm I'm not there to oversee that. I have no idea what's going on in that house. And then you know, okay, now there's this other person involved. And it can be really scary for the parent because they don't know who this person is. They don't know. You know, when you send your kids to school, you know that the teacher is qualified to be there. Mm. And you don't know that with this other person. So, I always like to recommend that people meet each other It's really hard and not everybody wants to do it, but it can help so much if people are able to take that step to be able to sit down, to have coffee and to talk through concerns, boundaries, any of those kinds of things, you know, for a mom and a daughter situation, you know, and if it's a teenager, you know, for mom to be able to say something to the new, you know, stepmom person. And say something like, okay, you know what, it's going to be prom season in a couple months, I Mm. want to take her shopping for her dress, please Mm. don't do that. Mm. So that you know what those areas are, and you're not stepping on toes unnecessarily. So that can be really helpful. Um, But I was just
2: wondering, I I hate to interrupt, but I was just wondering, like, where do you draw the line, right? What is a reasonable request for a biological parent to make, right, to a boyfriend or girlfriend? Right, that also sets a boundary, but also isn't considered controlling and I'll, and I'll give you an example of my own life right my ex is now engaged to someone and so he's trying to establish a relationship with the boys as best he can. Right so that's understandable right he's going to be around them he's got to relieve some of that awkwardness. And the other day, the boys told me that he was throwing a football with them. And that stung me a little bit because that's what I do. I'm traditional American male in that way. I love throwing a ball with my kids. I know they love throwing it back and forth with me. And it creates tension between them. Who gets to throw it with dad? Uh, and so, you know, I, I I wonder, like, what do you, how could you comfort someone? Again, so back to the boundaries question. But then, like, as you being the new person, right, the girlfriend, how do you comfort the biological mom in that way
1: so that's another great question, and again, what's reasonable is going to be different for everybody, so there are some things in you know families, family traditions that are just held sacred for whatever reason you right. know um, it could be the you know when you eat spaghetti or something like that um, and so that 's why this communication piece is so important um, if if it's an exclusive thing that throwing a football is is a sacred act in your family then it makes sense to have a conversation about that if it's just something that you've always felt good about that you know but you were the one who taught them how to throw footballs and things like that then you know maybe it's it's more important to realize that okay this stings me but um. Would I be okay if my kids were at their friend's house and they were throwing football with their friends and their friend's dad? Yeah, I'd probably be okay with that. Okay. So this is just, this is a different kind of thing. This is a me problem.
2: The sexually. generalizing, it really helps. And especially when you think about teachers and other role, role models will have in their lives that really kind of makes it much more easy to swallow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good piece too, is to make that comparison. Would I be okay if this was happening with somebody else or, you know, realizing that I send my kids to school and they're right. with other adults during the day, all of that can help right. in, in putting things into perspective.
0: I think another good question in, in those type of experiences is, is the, does the act that the step-parent does take away in any shape or form from what I do? So for example, like a one-off thing, like buying a prom dress. If the other person does it, that has taken away the experience of me being able to do it. Mm -hmm. But maybe something like throwing a football, while it is painful and it is more sacred, it doesn't at all diminish my experience with my child.
2: Exactly. Or your role in their life, right? I am always going to be those those kids' dads, right? You're always going to be those kids' mom.
0: And since your kids fight about it, so maybe one kid can throw the football with you and the other kid can throw the football with your stepdad
1: <laughs> and out really well. <laughs> a lot of times it comes down to just, you know, there's a need there. There's a need for the biological parent. And that need is about having connection with the kids. And, and you know creating connection and, and having some kind of sacred experiences and events and things like that. And if you can find another way to meet that need, recognizing that that need is being unmet in this moment when you're thinking about the kids throwing the football or shopping for a prom dress or something like that, what's something else that you can do? How can you remember other ways that you do regularly bond with the kids or what's something different that you could do um, to, you know, they've been throwing the football and well, you know, maybe you're, you say, well, it would be cool if I actually took them to a game, you know, maybe they've never been to a a football game, we'll go to our, you know, town high school football game next Friday night. And that's a really cool thing that I can do with them. They've never had that experience before, not in a one-up kind of way, but just to create that kind of connection and experience because oftentimes that's what's, that's the thing that that's poking that's what's hurting is that need for that connection.
2: You realize when you're in circumstances like this, um, how it can really motivate you as a parent, You know, seeing someone else around your kids to say, I need, I need to invest more quality time with my children and how you know, if you're not divorced in some ways, you could sit back on your laurels, right? And not invest that quality time because you think your kids are always gonna be there and that there aren't gonna be other people who are potentially influencing their lives. But if those are things that trigger you, like you said, one thing you can do is respond to it in healthy ways by just investing more time and finding other things to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And being proactive in that way is going to make everybody feel a lot better than just being
2: angry about it. Right. You, and, uh, uh, go
1: ahead,
2: no. Go ahead. No, no, you All go right. ahead. I was gonna say,
0: how do you feel and what is your response with step parents or significant others disciplining children?
2: Mm. Oh, That's a big one. Wow. That's That's a big one. That's a
1: big one. And so you can't, you have to wait a long time to get into that kind of territory. It's really going to depend on the nature of the relationships, the level of respect between the kids and the step-parent. How long has the step-parent been in their lives? um, And, you know, what's the... uh, I don't really want to use the status of the relationship as the measuring stick to say, well, if you're married, it's okay. And if you're not, it's not, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But the, you know, is, is everybody living together? Have we been functioning as a family for a really long time? Is the biological parent fully on board and supportive of the step parent stepping into this role where they're able to issue discipline? Um, All of that is going to need to be considered in that. Uh, you know, in that space, because if any of those things are not in play, if the kids don't respect the step the step parent, they're not going to obey the discipline anyway. Yeah. If the biological parent doesn't support the step parent, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, so all of those things need to be considered.
0: Yeah. So you have been through almost every permutation. <laughs> of divorce. You know, child of divorce, married and divorced, dating someone who's divorced, and now remarried. Looking back, is there something you wish you had done differently in any of those situations?
1: Uh, so it's that's a, a hard question to answer because I am a firm believer that we need to love our journey, every part of the journey, because we learn so much along the way and we learn the lessons that we need to learn through the things that didn't go according to plan, you know, or didn't feel good or whatever. And I, I am happy with myself and and where I'm at and the journey I've come through. Um, so I would never, you know, I would never take back my first marriage because I learned so much from it. Um, I would say that I do wish that I had not Done all of my homework before getting into the stepmom situation. I think that probably would have helped things a lot more if I had been able to foresee that I was gonna be in this relationship and taken a year to do some research beforehand. Mm-hmm. But of course, that never happens. <laughs> right. Like we, we really don't plan. get divorced yeah. and say, you know what? In a year, I'd really like to date someone with kids. So I'm yeah. gonna do some some studying. I, I don't think anybody is has that level of planning and self awareness, um, but I think that would have been helpful.
2: What um, you know, the title of your book is "The D Word: Divorce Through a Child's Eyes," and I'm curious to know uh, what's you know uh, w- w- what perspective can you give parents about what their children are going through when when they see their parents divorcing.
1: So the the book is the story of divorce as told through the from the perspective of a twelve year old girl. So basically when I wrote it what I did was I kind of took my personal experience I I put myself back in that place and I reimagined me going through what I would have gone through if my parents had a more traditional divorce. And so as a child when my parents were were separating I was I was angry at them, I was confused, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I was listening to, if my mom was on the phone with somebody, I was at my bedroom door with my ear pressed against, trying to figure out what she's talking about, Um, all of those things. Hmm. And then I kind of imagined, well, if my parents had a more contentious divorce, I would have been a lot more worried about where, where am I safe? Where are my needs being met? Uh, you know, if my mom says that my dad's not, you know, he's not a safe person to, mm. to be with, or if my parents are, you know, having a lot of drama between them. And if, you know, my my mom is happy when I'm rejecting my dad or something like that, all of those things. Um and what I really wanted parents to understand is that kids have a very different view of what's happening and they're processing things a lot different, a lot differently. So when, uh, everybody in, in life, you know, when we're going through our lives and our experiences and we see things through our own eyes and through our own filters, and we have people who are on our side naturally who are going through life with us, whether that's a spouse or a friend or a sibling or something. And, People see things from a similar perspective, and so you can naturally assume that, okay, so everybody who's seeing this is seeing what I'm seeing. And it's really easy for parents to make that kind of assumption about their kids going through Mm. the divorce. It's really easy for parents to assume that, well, I think my ex is a terrible person, and my kids live with me. They've lived with him. They saw everything that I saw. They must agree with that too. So when I'm going to sit down and talk to my kids, I'm going to say things, well, you know how your dad's really irresponsible or something like that. And kids don't see things that way. They don't have that same kind of perspective. And so when I wrote the book, I wanted it to be a tool for parents to be able to see how kids are interpreting some of these things that are coming up. And the reasons they're making, the decisions that they're making, um, the the fear that they feel beneath the certainty that they display, um, to really encourage parents to reconsider um and to create more open dialogue with their kids instead of making assumptions about how they're feeling and what they're needing.
2: That's really wonderful. And if you could, just, you know, as we conclude here, I'm curious, If you could speak to that 12 year old Tara, right? You being Tara now, having done all this coaching and writing, and particularly with the book, what would you say to her as she's going through this divorce with her parents? If you were given, if you're like you're on an elevator ride down, you only have that time with her, what would you say to her?
1: So I would say, uh, first and foremost, that it's going to be okay. And I would also encourage her to um, just be a little bit more open about how she's, how she's feeling. um, And find the, the support that she needs. Um, When I was going through this process, I was aware enough to know that my parents were going through their own pain and their own process. And they had a lot to deal with. And I was old enough to recognize that. And I was old enough to kind of take care of myself. And Mm -hmm. so there was a lot that I held back. um, And I, I, you know, I think if I would have said to to either one of my parents, "Hey, I'm really confused about this. Or I'm really scared about this," um, they wouldn't have said, "Oh, shut up and go to your room. I have better things to do." They would have sat down and talked to me. But I didn't. I didn't say that. And so I think I would say to myself, "It's okay to to bring that up." And if I could say to my parents anything, I would say, "Ask her how she's doing." <laughs> <laughs> I always recommend that people have family meetings too. Um, you know. Going into the divorce, through the divorce, if you can have a family meeting with with both parents, or even if it's not with both parents, if it's a one-on-one check-in, but that there's some kind of designated time when parents and children can discuss all of this stuff and be able to check in and say, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? Do you have any questions?
2: What a novel concept. Families actually talking to each other. Amazing. (laughs) Nuggets, nuggets of wisdom. Um, Tara, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much for being our guest. It's been great meeting you and breaking the Instagram social media barrier. Uh, you've been so generous with your time and with your wisdom. We can't thank you enough. If I can share your social media, it's, uh, you can find Tara Eisenhard on any number of social media outlets. Uh, you can start by looking on facebook.com slash author Tara Eisenhard. That's T-A-R-A-E-I-S-E-N-H-A-R-D. Spelled exactly that way, and at Twitter at Tara Eisenhardt and Instagram at Tara Eisenhardt. You're making it very simple for people, first and last name. Until
1: you get to TikTok.
2: Well, <laughs> then there's TikTok, but you're at the you're at divorce coach at TikTok. So uh, thank you so much, and don't forget to check out the D word, seeing divorce through a child's eyes. Uh, can you get that on Amazon?
1: Yes. Um, yeah, you can get it wherever books are sold. Most bookstores don't naturally carry it, but if you go in and, and ask for it, they can probably order it for you. But yeah, Amazon, and it's available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook format.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Terry. You, You've been fantastic. Thank you. All right, friends, check us out at uh, the Jewish Divorce Project on Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, you can also find us on the web at other places, right, Sheva?
0: Yes, at the divorce, Jewish divorce project.com, and you can email us at the Jewish divorce project at gmail.com with any questions, insight, feedback. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Very cool. All right, friends. Until yeah, next, and a Happy um, New Year! So happy right? New Year. That's right. <laughs> happy New Year and enjoy Sukkot, everyone.